Welcome to Lift Out, reality-based independent radio, broadcasting at WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harper. I'm Danny Slater. And today's program is produced as ever by Matt Horniak. Uh, listeners are invited to call us in, call into the program uh, if you want to participate in the discussion at any time. The telephone number to reach us at is uh, 412-268-9728. That's 268-WRCT. Or send, you can also send electronic mail to bob at leftout.info, and we'll be, brought, we'll be uh, monitoring the email stream uh, during the show. Well, uh, we have a, uh, a, let's see, what, do we have any announcements today, Bob? I guess not. Uh, well, we have a guest today, um, Bernard Giselle, who is a um, computer science professor at Princeton University, who's been a guest on Left Out a couple of times before, and uh, he's also a blogger, prolific blogger, and uh, he's a very articulate speaker and uh, knows a tremendous amount and is opinionated and is willing to give his opinions and very forcefully. Bernard, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, hey, welcome hey, again hey, to Danny. Left Out, Bernard. Thanks, Bob. Uh, so I wanted to start uh, today's discussion. Uh, I was uh, just an hour ago, uh, went over to your webpage and reviewed uh, your uh, your gem of an article, opinion piece, I might say, from December 2003, which was uh, actually published in Counterpunch, but perhaps was more widely circulated on the web uh, informally, uh, called Bush's Desolate Imperium. And I remember at the time when I read it, and this is like three, just about three years ago, pretty much exactly three years ago, uh, not long after the uh, Iraq War had begun. I remember reading uh, reading that essay and being well deeply impressed with your with your uh, brilliant uh, prose and your brilliant summary of the situation. But going back over it now, I'm I'm looking at it again. I'm really uh, even more impressed at how accurate and prescient uh, your your article was. And I wondered if we might uh, start our discussion today by reviewing a little bit of what you said in this article called Bush's Desolate Imperium that we've linked to on the leftout.info webpage and maybe uh, we could uh, bring ourselves and bring our audience up to date on what has actually transpired. Uh, okay, sure, I'll be glad to do that. Uh, the reason why I wrote this thing is that at the time I had a sense uh, that the Bush administration was engaging into something that they knew nothing about and, the, and disaster would unfold. And, and the funny thing is that I have no particular expertise in the subject. And when I wrote this, I really did not think of myself as some kind of a prophet in the desert. In fact, I was mostly repeating things which I had read, which I had, and also used my own judgments about what I knew about the French experience in Algeria and the Israeli experience in Lebanon. And I just knew that this thing was, was doomed to fail. I mean, I, I wrote that the most likely outcome for Iraq in the short term is uh, Lebanon-style guerrilla warfare leading to a mini Saddam or a civil war. Now, at the same time, at the same time, Richard Pearl, who at the time was advising, uh, in some capacity, was advising Bush and and Rumsfeld, wrote, "I will be surprised. I will be very surprised if, in a year from now, there is not some grand square in Baghdad that is named after President Bush." And uh, Wolfowitz said, we're dealing with a country that can finance its own reconstruction and relatively soon, costs $300 billion so far. And then Tenet talking about the slam dunk thing, about the weapons of uh, destruction. And I was wondering, are these people just lying? Are they being stupid? Or or What's the story? Or they're deluding themselves. Yeah, so that's the there's thing. There's something else. There's some other reason behind it. That's the thing that I wanted to bring up because uh, with all due respect to your insightful article, I, I do want to mention that you're primarily a professor of computer science, as are we. So you're not, as far as I know, professionally a political scientist or, right. or a uh, foreign affairs expert. And the reason I bring this up is to say that uh, so many of the things you said in that article were so accurate and actually prescient. For example, you quoted one in particular that I think really uh, absolutely nailed the situation as it has played out. And But with all due respect, I would like to say that even to an amateur, if you understand my point, it was obvious yeah. 
what what could happen uh, totally. if, if you don't mind me saying that. Absolutely. And 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 so that brings to the point your question you were just asking is like obviously I mean I'm always puzzled by this right because anyone with any brains could see. Uh, what the most likely outcome was going to be. And maybe we could quibble about particulars, but certainly the story you painted, the picture you painted back then, seemed the most plausible and indeed has come out to be exactly true. Other people must have seen this. So what the heck is going on? Yeah, well, everybody has their own uh, conspiracy theory <clears throat> there. It's, uh, I mean, the po- I don't know. That's the short answer. And uh, uh, because I don't know those people and I uh, don't know what's going through their minds. I mean, I think when you really want something very badly, it's easy to convince yourself that everything is going to be fine. Uh, there's a darker interpretation which says that it could be that on even days, those people thought that what they were saying in the public uh, domain was going to happen. And, and on odd days, they thought that perhaps something bad is going to happen. But then what's... What's being, what's so bad about being bad? I mean, right, so you hear stories that say, well, chaos in, in Iraq, in many ways, is uh, not so bad for some people like Cheney. And uh, so if that is true, then basically they might not have been 100% sure, maybe 90% sure and 10% sure it might not play out well. But then they all, you know, on aggregate terms, they might have decided that it was worth trying it out. And... Uh, so what do you think that they what do you think that they actually hope to accomplish? I mean it's for me anyway, it's still a subject of some speculation as to, you know, what was the plan and what was like just, you know, what was the plan? What was really intended and 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 what is going to happen now? I mean, I find it rather hard to understand what could have they, been the plan. Well, I have a, I I mean I just I'll add a comment which is that they must have planned it to go well because there's a risk for the election in 2000 uh, 2004. Right? right, and there was a risk. It, it was very, very close. Bush almost lost. Well, um, but yeah, but the risk, in some sense, there that that and then he did lose the 2006 sort of, election. It's sort of period. controllable because you know, in one year's timeline, very little could go definitively wrong. Right? Anything, even if it was going badly, I think they yeah, could, which is what they could easily of, have covered it up. Uh, it's hard to be, but by now it seems definitively. I think they wrong. believe their stuff. Well, that's my opinion. But so you think the intention was, for example, to install Ahmad Chalabi as the uh, as the head of Iraq and take over? Is that? Do you think it was just a straight straightforward imperialism? Is that the idea? Is that your is that your well, opinion? Is that your was, opinion? They, they didn't, I'm, I'm they didn't I'm, want I'm the chaos. They didn't certainly didn't want the chaos that ensued. Mm-hmm. Bernard, I, I, yeah, no, I think. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I do believe that they thought things would turn out better. I, mean, I think there's a huge amount of hubris after the triumph, uh, the military triumph of the first Gulf War, and Afghanistan, which they thought went extremely well at the time. Though you can analyze militarily, it's not nearly as clear cut because. In fact, the U.S. did not do much of the actual fighting on the ground. I mean, they did have the Northern Alliance to do the hard work That's for them. That's right, yeah. And, but they really thought, I, I think, that it would be a, a cakewalk to depose Saddam. I mean, to some extent, you can argue, you know, it took only three weeks to actually go to Baghdad. And, and afterwards, I think one of the main goals, original goals, was to pretty much do what's, what bin Laden wanted, which is leave Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was simply becoming a place just too hot for the U.S. to have, you know, uh, army bases there and air force bases. So they said, well, we need to be somewhere in the Middle East. Oh, you know what? Iraq is a much better place for all kinds of reasons. More central, it's secular, it's not those crazy Wahhabis and so on. So let's just play that card. And we all hate Saddam, don't we? Whereas the Saudis are Right. Good I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure whether you can hear us. Uh, yeah, okay. uh, I say, okay, you dropped out there in that last moment. We all hate Saddam something. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the, we all hate Saddam and Iraq is secular. Mm-hmm. We, we want to get along with the Saudis because they're all family friends. If you're a Bush person, you understand what I'm saying. And so I think that certainly if you're an optimist, uh, there are plenty of reasons why Iraq would be a very good place to be at the heart of the Middle East, next to Iran, which you and and they really thought there'd be this tsunami of democracy. That's what they call. They use the word irony. Uh, that would um, well, we know what's you know what's happened. And, well, uh, yeah. So that's an example. of The thing I wonder about is whether they actually. How could anyone actually believe that? I mean, that you can invade a country and have it turn into this uh, celebration of democracy that would then take over the entire Middle East. I mean, to me, it's just preposterous on the face of it. 
I agree, but I think that it, so I pay great attention to some of the people who are the, the most intelligent ones who actually articulated why they were in favor and why things were mm-hmm, going to work mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when you pointed out things like, well, what about the French experience uh, in Algeria? What about this? What about that? They really believe that the United States is a different country. You know, we are different people, and the, the French got their ass kicked in Algeria because they're there for the wrong reasons. But we're going to be there for the good reasons. And so it's going to be entirely different. There's American and, exceptionalism. Yeah, the American exceptionalism, I think, played a role. Even, even, in, even, in, even with the result in Vietnam being so uh, shockingly similar. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's just it's just funny. I mean, many of us, I think, were saying at the time. I mean, first of all, what seemed quite obvious is that if there was democracy in Iraq, it would be a Shiite fundamentalist theocracy, and it was hard. It was hard to understand how that could be the right thing to do. And now uh, there are many, there are many, many um, rumors uh, uh, circulating in the news. Uh, I don't know whether they're being floated by people trying to influence the outcome or being floated as test balloons or what. But one of them today was to just sort of declare victory and turn it over to the Shiites. And that would be, and I, I've heard that. I've also heard suggested, you know, a plan to install some strongman, right. uh, which, you know, the ultimate irony of essentially reinstating uh, Saddam Hussein or someone equivalent to him. Oh yeah, Jonathan uh, Chase. It's just, uh, just totally, totally amazing the the way the the way this is going. It's a complete and full catastrophe. So you know, w- one thing is that we we're sitting here. Uh, well, we're not gloating because this no, is so sad and so I'm horrible. I'm deeply disturbed. I don't we're know. all disturbed by this horrible thing that's happening, not just to Iraq, but our own country in terms of the, the deaths of our own soldiers and the money that we're, we're wasting on this. But um, we were all against the war from the beginning. So we have a right to come up here and say, I told you so, uh, and you should have listened to us. And, and I would say the flip side of that, if I, if I may bring it up, is the thing that concerns me most is not so much uh, engaging in triumphalism, but the issue is that to make to try to understand why did people buy this nonsense, and I mean the average person now. I mean it's a matter of some speculation as to why the actual our actual leaders, so called, yeah, right. were doing this. But 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 to the average person, why did they buy this nonsense? And I feel like shaking people and saying, "So are you going to listen next time?" You know, I mean, to me, that's the the really right, right. very important it issue. O- and it ought to be a lesson. I've mentioned this before and left out. It ought to be a lesson of this idea that people should go back and say, "Well, how could I have been wrong?" Well, I listened to this pundit. I read this newspaper. I I listened to this politician, and that's why I'm wrong. I'm listening to. I should have been reading The Nation or listening to Left Out or, uh, you know, but what I found democracy really, now. Uh, uh, astonishing is that the same people who are so cons- consistently wrong. For example, Kenneth Pollack, who wrote an, an entire book about why we should attack Iraq because it's the gathering storm. He's got all these weapons and has destruction and so on. Every single page in his book has proven to be wrong. And every uh, channel you turn to, there he is talking. And he writes op-heads. He's still the expert who pontificates about understand. the place, even though he's been proven. I mean, in our profession, or if you were a surgeon or a doctor, he would be simply run out of town. But now, in punditry, it's different. These are different rules. Right. It's insanity. Well, the same thing is true of Kissinger, right? Kissinger is still, still gleefully, you know, he's, oh, the great Henry Kissinger, Harvard professor and all that, you know. It's I'm, insane. This guy, this guy, he's, he's the cause of death of millions of people. He should be locked up. I and mean, yet he's re- is, you see this Halloween. I mean, he's a Halloween character. And he, actually now he's in the news a lot around the time of Halloween. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like the, the, the ghost of past horrors coming back with this sinister look. And say, man, this guy is still alive, and he's still being shown around. It's just shocking. Yeah, it's back to the future. You know, it's- okay, here, here, here I must engage in a little bit of gloating. I find it particularly uh, a particularly rich irony that Christopher Hitchens, the turncoat, who's a great supporter of the Iraq War, but but avowed enemy of Henry Kissinger, turns out <laughs> to be turns out to be uh, that the Bush administration all along is being advised by Henry Kissinger <laughs> on the conduct of the Iraq War. It's really uh, really sucks to be uh, to to be uh, to be Christopher Hitchens these days. I would say. Oh. Well, there's a very interesting sideshow. I, I, I'm sure, guys, you, you guys must have followed this, which is to see the rats, the neocon rats, leaving the sinking ship. And uh, uh, so it ranges from Michael Ledeen, who now really was one of the most adamant to go to war, 
And now he says that actually he was always against the war, that he was misunderstood. He was always against the war. Uh, Who was? Uh, Michael Ledeen. I don't, I don't know him, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's really on the crazy, you know, a madness range. He's way out there. Uh, you have people like David Frum, who was the speechwriter for Bush. He, he coined the axis of evil thing. And he said, well, Bush did not... Well, he 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 read my speeches, but he he did not really understand them, and that's the problem that we're facing now. And uh, Kenneth Edelman, who is the guy who said it'd be a cakewalk, now he said that Cheney and Rumsfeld were so incompetent. This is unbelievable. I mean, those people were direct, you know, major players in this, and now they're just turning around. And the best quote is Richard Pearl, who said. <laughs> that the problem was that Bush was not loyal to Chalabi. Now, here's Pearl, who is stabbing Bush in the back. Here's Bush, you know, who empowered Pearl for all these years. Now, he's stabbing the guy in the back, and he says, you were not loyal. Now, this is beautiful. <laughs> I hadn't quite heard that. I hadn't yeah. heard that quote. I heard, his other, uh, I heard his other protestations about, well, if he had known how it was going to turn out, he would never have done this. <laughs> yeah. You see, what, what, but, you know, what, what we need is something like, you know, the, in, in this country, if you commit a crime, you go to jail, right? If, you, if you're convicted of a murder or, or some other some other crime, and you, the society recognizes that, you know, you have a, red, what's it called, a scarlet letter. You are, you are locked up. You have a record. But somehow that never happens with the, the, in the, the punditry, certainly, with politicians. I mean, how many times do you have to be wrong? How many people have to die because of what you did before you get, you know, banned from TV or something? Sounds like a Bob Dylan song, yeah. How many times do you have to yeah. be wrong before you're, yeah. Let's, let's uh, let me announce the phone number. Uh, we're talking to Bernard Chazelle. If you want to give us a call, uh, the number is 412-268-9728. And, um, or to send mail to bob at leftout.info, and we'll monitor electronic mail. Right. Well. I mean, the station uh, was operating at low power. I believe it's back up to main strength right now, and hopefully people are starting to tune back in again, and um, we could use your calls. Uh, so we should say something very controversial and upsetting to people, and maybe they'll start calling in. <laughs> well, in I, I, am, I am very interested. One one point I've noticed is uh, in terms of people learning. Well, obviously, the outcome of the elections means that some people are finally uh, are finally learning. I don't. It's always hard to judge the motive of the electorate, but it certainly seems that the uh, catastrophic failure of the Iraq wars was part of uh, people voting against the Republicans. So that's a good sign. But I do wonder, um, I, I still hear uh, in conversation, reading, uh, listening on the radio and so on, that there just seems to be quite a number of people who are, according to my worldview, completely in denial of reality of what's happening in Iraq. I mean, there's plenty of people who still believe that everything is just going fine. It's that damn liberal media that keeps reporting all the bad news. Or it's not going very well, and it's all because of you liberals who are against the war, have undermined us and stabbed us in the back. Or, of course, there's all different variations on Bill Clinton's fault. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, for example, that his downsizing in the military, uh, of the military in the 19. Uh, in the 1990s, uh, which really was primarily carrying out the the, the plans of uh, the Bush Senior and uh, and uh, Dick Cheney, um, was uh, was responsible for uh, for the disaster, and it goes on and on. But they're all in in, in my mind uh, elements of denial. So what I would like to know if there are any listeners out there who uh, supported the Iraq War, and maybe even well, two uh, two questions really. One is um, if you've changed your mind, what is it that made you change your mind? I mean, I suppose you could just look at the outcome, but well, have you rethought like the motives? Like what? What? What made you? What made? What? What is it that makes you think different? What do you think differently now? I mean, do you now used to believe Bush and 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 suspended disbelief, and you no longer do that, or is there some some other some other change there that makes you change your mind? If you still think that the Iraq War was is and continues to be a good idea, uh, then I would be very curious as to know. What what is the what is winning? How how do you define winning, and and what does it mean for us to succeed in Iraq? I noticed that today that um, well, Omar came um, out in favor, but he said it's a great thing. Ehud uh, Omar, yeah, the, uh, the, he said, oh, it's a, we're, we're much better off now. Prime Minister of Israel. Well, yeah, he may, he, he may well that. be from some point of view. I'm not well, sure. Well, maybe that's the answer. You'll get some Israel supporters uh, that calling may be, in. Okay, I may be curious to find out, like by by what criterion was this a, a good outcome? Did this work? And what would be the criterion of success that would get us out? I noticed today in the um, Washington Post that Bush, who's over in um, Estonia and Latvia, said that he has no intention of 
uh, of, of drawing down any troops from Iraq until uh, we achieve victory. He said that today. He said that today. So he continues to insist that uh, that we're going never to. He vowed never to pull out U.S. troops before quotes completing the mission there. So I would ask. I would ask him if I had the chance. I would ask anyone. What, is the what does it mean to complete the mission? Just what, what is the mission, and what is it? What does it mean to complete it? We certainly have never been told a consistent, clear uh, a story on what the mission is and what the criterion for success was. Much less. Uh, carried out anything resembling a successful operation. So if you'd like to discuss any of those, you please give us a ring at uh, 412-268-9728 or send uh, electronic mail to bob at uh, leftout.info. Uh, if I can say something. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Iraq study group, you know, this Baker Commission that's going to report Super. Uh, what we should do to solve all the problems. Now, okay, maybe I'm being a little bit cynical or negative, but I've always been very suspicious of this commission for one simple thing. Isn't that the job of the State Department to actually come up with plans to, or the Defense Department? It's very strange the government asks for a separate commission to do something, which after all, that's what governments do. Uh, so then you look who is on the commission, and you see that uh, none of them are Middle East experts. Well, there's Baker, there's uh, Hamilton, there's... Uh, this Ed Meese, Ed Meese, you remember, <laughs> what the hell is he doing there? This Ted O'Connor, I mean, she's a wonderful, uh, you know, judge and all of the above, but what does she know about the place? And um, so my theory, which I hope people will disagree with and we can uh, d- uh, debate it, uh, is that it's a ploy, really. And there the Democrats and the White House agree. It's a ploy to basically... Uh, make the White House look like they are going to do something when, in fact, they're going to do absolutely nothing. So I predict the commission is going to come up with all kinds of recommendations which look very impressive on paper, but, in fact, is just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. And Bush is going to say, oh, I'm going to do all of this, and this is so important and everything, and it will give an impression of doing things when, in fact, nothing is going to happen that's, that's real and tangible. And and the Democrats will be in full support of this. That's my prediction. And the reason why I think this is so, it's going to be, if you will, like a car in neutral where you press the accelerator, it makes lots of noise, but nothing happens. And I think the reason is simple is because anything that would actually make a difference would have the word pull out, withdrawal, uh, dialogue with uh, evil people like Iran and Syria. And that would make the Democrats look weak in anticipation of 08. Certainly, the word "pull out" and "withdrawal" will never, never be uttered on the lips of Hillary Clinton. And for Bush, it's impossible to admit any sort of, uh, uh, you know, turnabout like this. You know, admitting defeat. So it's just a horrible thought that I think that in the <clears throat> next two years, Bush basically is going to rearrange the chairs on the Titanic and pretend that he's steering the ship away from the iceberg, when in fact we're heading straight toward it. Well, but, the, thing, know, the thing that I fear, go ahead, Dan. Well, I just think that I don't understand why the Democrats would be so cowardly. I mean, the election seemed to have proven that, that, the, that the, you know, the anti-war people were, had done had quite well. Uh, and, and they didn't get trounced. And um, it's, they need to be more, less cautious or less, I, I don't know. I mean, Hillary, okay, forget her. I mean, she's going to do, she voted for the war. She's, you know, she's not going to, but forget her. What about all the other Democrats? So, look, today we read that uh, there was a, a memo by, from the Marine Corps, U.S. Marine Corps, that basically said that the Anbar region is lost, that the U.S. has lost militarily in the Anbar region. That's no longer uh, in any sort of, you know, that the U.S. has no control over this. The, the Baghdad operation over the summer, called Operation, I forget what that thing was called, um, which involved adding another like 20,000 U.S. and Iraqi troops, has turned out to be an utter failure. Yes. Now, right after the election, which was really a, a big anti-war mandate for, you know, in the election, what do we hear? That we're going to add the number of troops, but maybe 20,000. And there is agreement on both sides. Now, this is very funny because I don't recall that people voted the Democrats back into office in order to increase the number of troops. I think it was more the opposite. So it's really very, very strange what's happening right now. 
Well, I fear, uh, going back to your point uh, earlier, I mean, I fear you're right, actually, that uh, the signs do seem to be shaping up that the Democrats are going to collude on this Iraq, Iraq study group and that there's going to be this uh, throwing up of the hands and some kind of, you know, nice sounding words and no really no real concrete uh, plan for what to do and how to get out of there and how to resolve the situation. I, I admit my heart sinks as I as I say that, but I, I I fear that you're actually exactly right. I fear that you're exactly right. And that we'll have two years because of the upcoming election, because of uh, uh, lack of leadership, lack of willingness to take leadership. I think that uh, we may well just stagnate for the next two years and as more and more and more people die and are maimed over there. Well, you know, things have taken a much the, the seems like it's an exponential increase in violence, right? It does seem to be that way. And, and that can't keep happening, right? I mean, what, well, it can. I mean, they can. It can. What, they're, just, they're just going to lock themselves up in the green zone for the next two years? I mean, what, what's... Uh, well, as Bernard was just saying, it's reported uh, there was leaks from a, a Pentagon report that the, uh, the U.S. military now believes that, that, that the Anbar province is completely out of control yeah. and cannot be brought under control. Well, uh, what does that tell you? I mean, uh, where does that leave us? What, what alternatives do we have? I mean, uh, I think that the... It is an ungovernable situation, and, and, and somehow, to me, it's obvious that it, it was going to degenerate into an insurgency and that the Iraq would fly apart at the seams and that it would uh, turn into a civil war and that, of course, Iran and Syria and God knows who else would intervene. I mean, it's it, it, one way or the other. I mean, it's straightforward. So then I, again, I coming back to earlier point, and then I begin to wonder, well, maybe that somehow that is the plan or mm -hmm. there's... I, I don't yeah. get it. I mean, I honestly don't get it because... The things that were stated were so preposterous that you just throw those right out. And then you're just left to speculate as to what, what, uh, what really is going on in these people's minds. So even now, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what, these, uh, uh, what, these, what these people are planning on doing. But I, I, I seriously worry that the, uh, the Democrats aren't going to, are not going to take, uh, take any serious initiative here. I've even heard a report now that, um, oh, blast, I'm trying to think of his name, the congressman, uh, 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 who was going to hold investigations into the into the conduct of the war, the run-up in the conduct of the war, Waxman, uh, is uh, is uh, actually backing away from that. Yeah, and that's so, a whole other question about what the Democrats are going to do uh, <clears throat> in terms of investigating the malfeasance and the you know the illegality of what's been going on in the administration. I don't think they'll do much. I mean, I because. They, what they will do, I think, is focus on, on all these phony scandals. Well, I mean, they're real scandals, but they're compared with Iraq. It's nothing uh, about the uh, uh, the junkets to Scotland and so on. So I, they'll have investigations about the Abramoff type things. And that'll mm -hmm. keep them busy. Mm -hmm. And people will say, oh, that's a very good thing to do. And, yeah, um, the Dems are going to jump on that it's immediately. It's much safer than going into, you know, who lied to whom in Iraq. And also the things that pay the, the, the illegal uh, wiretapping story. Right. Um, and it also appears from a news item I've seen today that the, the Democrats have no intention of rescinding this, uh, doing away with the writ of habeas corpus uh, due to the Military Commission Act. So, somebody drafted, I forgot who it was, who the, drafted legislation. The story's going back and forth, so it remains to be seen what happens. But the, the latest thing I saw today was the indications that the Democrats are backing away from this and have no intention of uh, uh, no intention of following up on this. We need to somehow so, get... Uh, in get, fact, uh, one Democratic staffer said, this is definitely not going to be the first thing out of the box for us. We make fun of Spectre, but we're basically leaving it up to the courts, too. As, yeah, uh, the sad thing so. is that the Democrats behave like an opposition party. I mean, even though they do have both houses of Congress, they still think that all they, they're going to do is mildly oppose, but not actually propose anything. Because yeah. they view this as too costly, they're too timid. And... Uh, to come back to the to the war in Iraq, I, I read this thing recently. This professor from Stanford, whose name escapes me unfortunately, and and he um, had these numbers about civil wars since World War II, since 1945. He said on average they last for 10 to 15 years, and one out of six uh, ends in a power-sharing agreement. So this is rare. Uh, most often, three out of four times, one side wins. Okay, and uh, like Spain is a good example of that. And uh, and then the other times, what happens is the international community, say in the case of Lebanon, which went on for 15 years, mm. Syria eventually took over with the blessing of, of, of everybody else. And so now if you ask yourself, 
where, what's your crystal ball telling you? What's going to happen in Iraq? Well, for one thing, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, but um, my fear is that the words of Kissinger comes back to mind. If you remember, during the Iran-Iraq war, Kissinger was caught saying something along the lines of, it's the perfect war. The, the ideal would be if this war went on forever, because at the end of the day, all Iraqis and all Iranians would be dead, and what's better than that? And so when you don't know how to do anything that might lead to peace, I wonder how many in government might not be tempted to simply manage the chaos until, you know, 15, 20 years from now, the combatants are just exhausted. And, but that would be just horrible to contemplate. Because, by comparison, Lebanon killed 150,000 people. And Lebanon is really one big city. I mean, it's Beirut. That's, it's a tiny country. Mm-hmm. So you can multiply this by a factor of 10 or 20 easily. <sighs> okay. Well, um, so the phone number here, if uh, if anyone is interested in calling, is uh, 412-268-9728, or we also monitor electronic mail, bob at leftout.info. So... Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about besides the Iraq War right at the moment? Well, uh, <laughs> not me. I mean, I find myself preoccupied by it at the moment because I'm dismayed that there doesn't seem to be emerging from the Democrats any really concrete plan about what to do. Uh, and the situation gets drastically worse yeah. by the day. I mean, it becomes appalling. Just a few days ago, there was a, you know, a tit-for-tat uh, situation where uh, one of the uh, one of the atrocities was an attack on a mosque in which a number of people were pulled out, doused with kerosene, and lit on fire. And the Iraqi army watched this happen and did not intervene. Ah, we have a. This is the yeah. this yeah. is the Iraqi mm. army. Can you believe uh, the Iraqi army that's going to being take trained over? By, uh, by They're us. going to stand up so that we can stand down. There is this very uh, poignant uh, article by Patrick Coburn, who is a correspondent for the Independent, I believe, and. And he's lived in Iraq now for years, and he's, he's excellent. And he wrote this thing, and there are many interesting things in his latest report. I highly recommend it. But he mentioned one thing which really struck me, which is the following, that, uh, as you know, Iraq is multi-confessional, you know, Shiites and, and Sunnis, also Christians and Kurds and Jews, but, but mostly Sunnis and, and Shiites, mostly Shiites. But there are lots of intermarriage, uh, there are lots of mixed marriages. It's very common within the same family that you have, you know, a Sunni uh, mother-in-law and a Shiite, you know, uh, cousin. And so he said that what's happening now, there are thousands and thousands of cases where couples are forced to divorce by threats. There are threats, you know, death threats that they have to divorce within, you know, 48 hours or they'll be killed. I mean, uh, okay, it's maybe it does not amount to the horror of people being doused with gasoline and set on fire, but it's just truly the falling apart of a society before your very eyes. It's kind of totally amazing. Gruesome. Uh, we have a call, Bernard, uh, Johan, or I think from uh, Aspenwall. Uh, you're talking to Bernard Chazelle and Left Out. Hi, it's hard for us to hear you. If you can speak yeah, up, please. I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you as well. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll do our best. Uh, uh, well, well, we'll work through it. Uh, I'm a libertarian, uh, and it's sort of interesting to hear you guys talking about the Democrats, or Democrats uh, at least people who expected the, the anti-war element of that to rise to the top post-election. And it reminds me a lot of uh, when I used to talk with a lot of Republicans about the, the economic conservative element of uh, the Republican Party after the 2000 election, the thing I used to hear from them all the time was, hey, all we need to do is have the president and Congress, and we'll really get some cuts in spending, and that'll finally get under control. And, boy, no sooner, six months later, they were all saying the same thing, like, you know, hey, what was this all about? And um, So I, I think that's an important you know, point to note, whether or not you're a you know, Republican, Democrat, or, you know, third-party type person. But you know, these primary, the primary objective of these parties seems to be, the, 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 the two of the Democrats, Republicans, is to retain power or get back in power. And say whatever it takes to get there, and really, it's, it's, it's disappointing to see that the Democrats really are not as, as serious about yeah. stopping this war. But boy, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I think people really need to start waking up that two parties maybe isn't the way to go. 
Well, it may well be inherent with uh, being in uh, being in political office. Uh, more, I think that's your point more so than being a Democrat or a Republican, because I suspect that even if libertarians took over, uh, you would find the same. You'd probably be equally or even more disappointed uh, with their uh, with. Uh, what people will do to retain power. So that's quite true. And the other side of it, of course, is that in order to gain political power in the U.S., such an enormous amount of money and backing from uh, from corporate and big money sources is required that uh, people are, by the time they get to that level, are fully compromised. Yeah, so, Johan, thanks for the call. Um, we, uh, well, I, I think that the, the, the left needs to keep the pressure up somehow on the Democrats. I'm not sure how to do it, but we need to keep working with Move On. Uh, keep working with uh, doing the things that they help, you know, organize and so on. Because after all, Democrats, it has to be admitted. I mean, the Democrats f- fought tooth and nail against, right, being in the anti-war, going, coming out against the war. They did everything they possibly could uh, as as an organization, as an organized party, to uh, to avoid uh, taking the stand. They basically backed into it. And the truth is, on the election, although I'm happy with the election outcome, it seems to me that it's much more that the Republicans lost than that the Democrats won. Yeah. And that's a really, uh, that's a that's a very important thing to keep in mind because we'll see here what happens next and what they really do with it. I think we'll uh, take a brief break, uh, a brief musical break, and we'll be back uh, in a few minutes' time with Bernard Chazelle from Princeton University. And if you would uh, like to give us a call during or after the break, 412-268-9728 uh, to be on Left Out.
So we're back on Left Out on WRCT 88.3 FM. We're talking with uh, Bernard Chazelle uh, from uh, Princeton University, who's previously been a guest on uh, on Left Out. And we primarily have been talking about the, uh, well, the humongous uh, uh, catastrophe that has uh, developed in uh, in Iraq over the last uh, three years. Bernard, welcome back to uh, Left Out. I wonder whether you've seen, I recently came across this article by, uh, believe it or not, an American conservative magazine, which I, I, I must say I don't normally read. But I came across this article uh, by a guy named Austin Bramwell. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen it. It's called Goodbye to All That. No, I haven't. Uh, well, I recommend you have a look at it because I think that you would uh, enjoy reading it. Many of the things, points that he has to make are the points you have made, actually, yourself in your own in your own writings. And also, I suspect you may well uh, may well uh, agree with. So he is um, a former, uh, he's described here as being a former National Review trustee, so we know all about the National Review. So you can imagine where this guy is coming from. And so he's a, uh, he's a, uh, uh, what, but it, judging from reading the article, he's what I would call a, a real conservative. Uh, one point we've often made on, on Left Out is that whether it's with respect to the economy or whether it's respect, with respect to, uh, domestic politics or, or whether it's with respect to foreign affairs, that the, uh, the kooks who are running our government for the last six years, whatever you may call them, they're not conservative. Well, this is related to the point the caller was making. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, this uh, this is a really a, a rather scathing and 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 systematic indictment of everything that has gone on in the last six years, including uh, criticisms of the uh, this generic war on war on terror, as he uh, describes it, and the conduct of uh, he's primarily concerned with foreign affairs in this article. Uh, and the neoconservative uh, takeover of the government, and I've often said, I mean, that maybe this is a. So I think this is actually a very, uh, a very good. Uh, uh, I think this is a very good point that this that this article comes out because there may be the beginnings of a, of a, a resurgence of. Yeah, uh, interesting. I mean, I'm not a conservative, and I never will be, but I can have some respect for considered conservatism, even if I don't agree with it. Yeah, it was interesting. I heard an interview on, uh, the Tom Hartman show with uh, Phyllis Schlafly. Oh no! Well, well no. I you, haven't heard that name in, in twenty-five years. It was pretty funny because <laughs> Thank okay, God. they talked. They talked for about for for part of the time about some law that was struck down that was disallowing you know. So maybe you should fill in for our, for some of our younger listeners. Who is Philip Schlatt? Well, Phillip she's Schlatt. she's a woman. Uh, she became famous for. She became famous for uh, being against women's liberation. The equal, against, equal rights amendment. amendment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, she's probably in her 80s now. I can imagine, so, yes. But anyway, so they talked about how she talked about how terrible it was that the Supreme Court activist judges in Missouri had struck down, or no, Texas <clears throat> had struck down a law which illegalized homosexual activity in, in your home, inside your home, and so on. And they argued about that for a while. And then they got into. Oh, right. That was a couple uh, They of got years into ago. Mm -hmm. um, uh, economic issues. And it turned out that she was in total agreement with Tom Hartman, who's extreme liberal um, and. and, and Against you know the whole free trade mantra, and against you know the, the outsourcing of jobs, and both of them were in total agreement on how terrible it is that the, this country is being deindustrialized, the industrial base is being <coughs> totally destroyed. Now this is very uh, interesting. But you have people like uh, Hitchens, a former Trotskyist, who is now on the Bush camp, and you have like a libertarian site like Antiwar.com uh, that makes lots of uh, you know left-wing type arguments against the war so it's sort of reshuffling of the deck wait you're saying hitchens oh you're hitchens uh, was a former trotskyite i mean he, i mean he people he, he switched was, sides basically right he became uh, yeah, he became a, um, a bushy yeah right and, and we've and discussed Yukon. we've discussed him a little bit i think some of the reasons that he did that were just basically the, the fact that uh, you get a lot more uh, publicity a lot more money a lot more uh, recognition you know if you're an articulate and he is an articulate he is. He's, he, a, he's a wordsmith, and he yeah. and who's a who's pro-war, and there aren't very many of those, and so he gets invited everywhere. Uh, he's huge, hugely visible in a way that he never was. He was just a random, you know, nation columnist before before that, and he became really famous. A comment I, I, I'd like to make you about the war, if I may, uh, which hopefully will get some irate caller to come and insult us because they're not doing that. So we must be doing something wrong. We're operating uh, on low power, unfortunately. <laughs> this, may be, this may be part of our problem. So you may have heard that King Abdullah of Jordan has made a very interesting comment and scary one. He said he's very scared that there's going to be three civil wars going on in 07, which is the one in Iraq, uh, Lebanon, 
uh, could happen any time, and of course the one in Palestine between you know, Hamas and the PLO. And um, now, <coughs> the reason I bring that up is because it addresses to me the key issues that the Democrats and the Republicans will not address. And those issues are, I think, at the core of funding. Now, I don't have a solution for Iraq, and I, I have no idea what would lead to peace. But I know certain some steps that I think must be taken. One is I happen to believe that in the Middle East, these problems are coupled. These three potential wars are, in fact, coupled. And to study the to try to solve the problem in the Middle East piecemeal has consistently failed. Now, here's the reason why Democrats and Republicans alike will not touch these problems. So go one by one. In Iraq, the first thing you have to do is engage Iran. Well, that's politically very, very difficult because Iran will say, okay, I'll talk to you, but I want a big pride. Now, Iran has tried to be very friendly to the U.S. when we attacked Afghanistan, and they got zilch in return. So now Iran says, okay, we're going to play hardball, and we're going to be helpful to you, the United States, in Iraq, but in return, we want security agreements, and we want to be able to do whatever we please with our nukes. That's number one. So that's a no-no on both sides. In Lebanon, you have to engage Syria, whether you like it or not, and nobody likes it. Uh, Syria will say, okay, I'll pay ball, but I want the Golan Heights. So you've got to pressure your Israeli friends to start moving on that. Huge no-no. I mean, you can't imagine Hillary Clinton uh, going there. And finally, there's obviously Palestine without a major peace initiative, major push to revive the, the moribunds, the, the dormant peace process, uh, this problem is only going to get worse. And on all three fronts, these three basic steps, I see no one in the political spectrum in the U.S. willing to take that step. Yeah. Well, that's, that's certainly true. And uh, I just want to remind our, reader, our listeners who give us a call at 412-268-9728. We have about Five more minutes left in the program. So, Bernard, you're saying that, that the Democrats aren't picking up. No, nobody, no, no American politicians are discussing, have even responded to the uh, King Abdullah's interview. Right, yes. Well, it's scarcely been reported as far as I can see. Yeah. Well, it was reported on Democracy Now!, but I guess I'm getting a skewed. Uh, it's not, a, not an average uh, a news program. Um. Did either of you happen to hear the interview that was done on Democracy Now! yesterday with uh, Nir Rosen? No, I haven't. He's a uh, reporter. Um, I think he's a freelance reporter. He was, uh, he's excellent, yeah. Yeah. He's very good. And he was interviewed on Democracy Now! You can hear the program or read the transcript of the interview on the democracynow.org website. And so he, he was, uh, I, I was, he really, let me, I can read a small quote from his, uh, his interview, uh, which I thought was really poignant. It says, there is no solution. We've, destroy we've destroyed Iraq, and we've destroyed the region, and Americans need to know this. This isn't Rwanda, where we can just sit back and watch this, the Hutus and the Tutsis kill, um, uh, kill each other and be like, wow, this is terrible, we should do something. We destroyed Iraq. There was no civil war in Iraq before we got there. And there was no civil war in Iraq until we took certain steps to pit Sunnis against Shias. And now it is just too late. But... We need to know we are responsible for what's happening in Iraq today. I don't think Americans are aware of this. We've managed to make Saddam Hussein look good, even to the Shias at this point. And what we've managed to do is not only destabilize Iraq, but destabilize Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. This is going to spread for decades. The region won't recover from this, I think, for decades. And Americans are, resp Americans are responsible. So the real question is what to do now. So, uh, Bernard, what is your opinion? Immediate pullout? No, well, yes. E yes. But, uh, well, for one thing, you cannot do it simply because logistically it's actually pulling out is, is quite difficult and, uh, and dangerous. But, yes, I also would call, okay, I'm the president of the United States now, and I would call a regional con an international conference uh, that would um, uh, basically try to get all the countries outside of Iraq that are involved in this matter uh, to agree uh, on the line. I mean, the way it was done in Lebanon, okay, where Syria was handpicked basically by everybody to sort of uh, do the, you know, dirty work, and where there's no such country, uh, Iran's power is greatly overestimated by the neocons, I believe. I Iran cannot pacify 
Iraq any more than we can. However, I think the, the number one step is the fact that we simply cannot afford anymore, the United States cannot afford anymore to be to, to declare that Syria and Iran, however we dislike those people, that they are the enemy and therefore we don't talk to them. I mean, that's luxury which simply we cannot uh, afford, mm -hmm. we cannot do. And, uh, and I really think that the U.S. right now is on the road to ending, you know, the, the famous American century is really coming to an end in the Middle East unless those major steps uh, are taken. And I do not see how they could possibly be taken in, in the next, uh, I don't know, in the next six, seven years. I don't see how this could happen. Uh, so... I mean, I, I, I've always had the position, I, I don't personally, I don't know enough to say what the solution is myself, but I know that there's been incredible stupidity and negligence, and somebody has to be held accountable for this. It's outrageous. Yeah. So I want to see, so see somebody, you know, somebody has to hang for this. It's, it's insanity. It is, really. I mean, I, I remember... I. Uh, in the 80s, in the fake of the Lebanese Civil War, I remember seeing this chart. It was unbelievable. It was a whole page with like this graph, this extremely dense, complex graph. Each node was a, a militia or a tribe or a group in, you know, in Lebanon. And then there were like these arrows connecting, you know. And I thought, you know, I knew maybe half a dozen of them, and I thought I knew what I was talking about. My goodness, I saw this thing. There were hundreds literally hundreds of groups all fighting each other. The arrows meant that they fought each other. It was all over the place. And this image came back to mind when I heard Barry McCaffrey, uh, General McCaffrey, talk a few days ago. He said, just in Baghdad, they are, we know, the U.S., we know there are 23 militias mm. fighting right now as we speak, and there are probably more than that. And then you think, well, how do you, can you possibly address the issue? Okay, let's say you get one militia to disarm or to be on your side. Well, there are 22 more. And in fact, pretty soon there's going to be hunters, if not thousands. And so at some point, it simply enters a totally different dimension, where simply knocking heads and saying, okay, let's sit down and talk, simply cannot happen anymore. When, you know, every block in Baghdad is controlled by its own militia, its own police, it's, and, and if you trespass, you're dead meat and that's where we're that's where we almost are and this is truly you know the rings you know inner rings of hell in Dante so I think it's going to take a long long time but we can make it worse or we can make it better and my fear is that by not doing anything and I think Bush is not going to do anything he's going to hand that over to his successor mm -hmm. it's un I mean to me it's unforgivable that we can simply sit on our hands for two years and, um, that seems uh, that uh, does seem a possibility, and I'm sorry to end on such a uh, such a down note. Uh, we've reached the end of our hour. Uh, Bernard Chazelle, Princeton University. Thank you very much for thank being on Left Out me. once again. I hope to we'll have you back uh, another time in the future. Okay. Thanks very much for calling in, uh, and thanks very much to all of our listeners for listening to Left Out, and thank you to Matt Horniak for producing today's program. We'll return in two weeks' time. <laughs>